Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. All right, Chris Mannix, Howard Beck, Crossover Podcast. What's up, Mr. Beck? What's happening, Mr. Mannix? Doing well. I hope you're uh, well, hanging in in these uh, strange times. Strange times with more cancellations of NBA games where you had uh, two Charlotte Hornet games this week that were canceled. The one thing that that jumped off to me, Howard, when I saw the recent rash of cancellations, the NBA has put out to teams what their all-star protocols are going to be, and they're pretty strict, but what happens if you know, like a star player comes back from All-Star with COVID-19. Like, that's got to be the nightmare scenario, right, for for NBA All-Star weekend? Yeah, yeah, because given, you know, 24 players, it wouldn't be 24 teams, but 24 players, let's say, representing 15, 18 of the teams. I mean... two-thirds of the teams, yeah. Yeah, two-thirds. I guess if you detect it soon enough, you got to play out all these scenarios, right? If you detect it immediately before they've actually reported to their teams, okay, you just, you know, all those guys get shut down and it's no effect. But if, 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 if even one all-star who was in Atlanta gets to his team is practicing with his team and then tests positive, I think you're shutting down the whole league for 
a week at that point, right? Like that is, I, I mean, I haven't tested these scenarios by, by anybody in, in the NBA, but like that seems like a not unreasonable possibility. No, I, I agree. I think it is possible. And that's something the NBA has got to be pretty wary of as they go into this uh, all-star week that's uh, not, still not the most popular amongst players. Still anxious to see how that kind of plays out. But that's a conversation uh, for another day. I do want to talk this week uh, about a few things. Uh, the Boston Celtics, how they have performed over the last few weeks. The Phoenix Suns, they've gone the other direction playing really good basketball. And, of course, Anthony Davis, his injury problems, how big a concern are they for the Lakers. But I do want to start in Boston, Howard, where the Celtics, coming off a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals, have hit kind of a rock bottom for this season. They are sitting at 500 at about a third of the way through the year. Uh, fifth in the East, 13-13 and 13 record. They've lost seven of their last 10 games as we record this, 10 of their last 15. They are bad right now. Uh, Danny Ainge, I listened to him on a radio interview this week, uh, took some responsibility for it, said some changes may be a coming uh, for that roster. But what's your takeaway from from what Boston's been doing over the uh, last few weeks? Well, it's interesting because like this is, I mean, you you know because you've been in that area for a long time and, and you know that team well and that fan base well. Um, man, they're coming unhinged. Like it, it's, 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 uh, it, it sounds to me like, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Celtics fans are ready to like throw everybody overboard. Danny Ainge, Brad, Steve, like everybody who was deemed a genius for the last like five to 10 years, they're all done. Nobody knows what they're doing anymore. Get rid of them all. Like it, it sounds like they're ready to just like burn the place down. Um, all of which strikes me as a little bit overwrought. I mean, it's easy for me to say I'm not emotionally invested, but let's take a step back here for a second. Um, we know all the other, like the obvious context for the season. Everything is weird. Everything is off. Look across the standings, by the way, people. Like a lot of teams that we expected great things of are underachieving. Toronto and Miami, to name two in the East, Dallas in the West. Uh, and there's a, just a, a, a vast, vast expanse of just mediocrity right now. There's a handful of teams that are doing really well. Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, Sixers. Everybody else, and then you know, maybe the Bucks. Everybody else, they're kind of eh. Like the Nets, yeah, they look really great offensively, but the record, it's fine. They're not, you don't look at the record and say, that's dominant. Obviously, the Celtics, you know, are, are underwhelming right now, but like things are just strange. And I don't think we can quickly judge anything that we're seeing right now. Um, and especially in the Celtics case, Chris, um, they are, I believe, <clears throat> what, three and seven in their last 10, but Marcus Smart has missed the last eight games. They're three and five without him. Jason Tatum missed a couple weeks in January because of COVID. They were two and three without him. Kemba's only played in 12 out of 26 games. Missed the first month of the season. They do have some roster issues, right? There, there's not a lot of reliable depth on this roster. Jeff Teague has been a disappointment. Tristan Thompson's been a disappointment. They didn't really play, replace Gordon Hayward. We can address all of the personnel stuff. But I look at a team that <clears throat> is really reliant on its top four guys. And Kemba's got a knee that is not going away, the knee issue, and missed a bunch of games, and Tatum missed games, and Marcus Smart has been out. Like, I, I, I don't look at this and think that there is something particularly alarming about the, the underpinnings of this, this team. I think once they're whole, they're probably fine if Kemba's knee holds up. But, you know, Smart in particular, I think people are just sleeping on how important he is. He's not just this, you know, phenomenal physical defender and hustle play glue guy he's also their leading playmaker 
he's their best point guard. <laughs> like Kemba's their best scoring point guard, but Marcus Smart's their best facilitator. And Tatum and Brown, as, as, as talented as they are, that's not a fully developed uh, part of each of their games yet. So missing Marcus Smart matters. So I don't, I don't know why these things kind of fall by the wayside as part of the context for their current struggles when everybody, you know, as, as, when everybody starts to come unglued about the record. Like there, some things have happened and they'll get, they'll get through those things. They'll get whole again. I, I, call me crazy. I think the Celtics are going to be fine. I really do. Yeah, to reinforce that point, I mean, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, they have played a grand total of 28 minutes together. I mean, when you look across the league at some of the top teams, even a team like the Clippers, uh, who have had guys in and out of the lineup, like those numbers dwarf what Boston has had to deal with. So they haven't had the core group of guys together for very long. All that being said, they are definitely top-heavy. I mean, yes. they've got four or five guys they can count on every single night. Then the rest, it's like, all right, cross your fingers and hope Peyton Pritchard makes shots and hope that Jeff Teague doesn't look like the ghost of Jeff Teague or that Tristan Thompson you know, looks more like the guy in Cleveland than the zombie version that they've seen of him uh, in Boston. So it is – they're definitely going to be better when Marcus Smart comes back and then get all these guys playing and get some chemistry. But – I still wonder if they have enough reliable players. I mean, if not for Peyton Pritchard, who has been pretty reliable when he's been healthy, they'd be in some trouble, Howard. Like they, like they, they you know, Aaron Neesmith is not reliable. He is not going to be a factor this year. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't even recognize Romeo Langford at this point. Like that's <laughs> another guy that you know, because of injuries, has not made an impact in his two years uh, with this team. So, in my in my opinion, they have to go up. That's the number one team in the NBA that if they want to compete for a championship, they have to do something. They cannot, you know, get to the end of March with that $28 million trade exception and the full cash of first-round picks that they have and get nothing for it. Because, look, we can, you know, quibble over should the Celtics have matched the offer that Charlotte made to Gordon Hayward. I don't know that Gordon Hayward wanted to come back to Boston anyway. I think he was ready for a fresh start. Uh, but losing Gordon Hayward is a real loss. Whatever you thought he was the last couple of years, he was still a pretty reliable offensive player and a playmaker. And they replaced him basically with Peyton Pritchard. He has filled that spot in the rotation. That's not good enough for the playoffs. That's not good enough to to beat the Milwaukee's and the top teams and Brooklyn, those top teams in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, we discussed this on Crossover TV a lot, and we can get into it again here. But, you know, it they've got the trade exception. They've got first-round picks. They can't. We can't get into a situation, Howard, where the Celtics are sitting back, going, "Oh, you know, the price was too high. We could, we just couldn't do it." Enough of that. You know, first-round picks in their twenties. I'm not going to dismiss their value, but they're not as valuable as a veteran player right now. And I'm gonna, I, I've thrown JJ Redick's name into that mix. There are certainly others that we can talk about. But while I do think I do agree with you, the Celtics can be better or will be better when they get healthy. They're just way too top-heavy, in my opinion, to compete against those top teams. They are, but you know, I'm, I'm looking at like minutes per game right now through the roster. And so just again, as a quick thought exercise, there's just the context for this. If anybody at the beginning of the season had said Peyton Pritchard, third of the way into the season, would be averaging 21 minutes a game, or that Grant Williams would be averaging 19 minutes a game, or that Semi Ojale would be averaging 19 minutes a game, and you can go on down, like you'd say... What what happened? 
<laughs> what the hell happened that Peyton Pritchard would be averaging 21 minutes a game? Either he's also averaging 20 points a game and he's indispensable and they're playing him because he's, he's just been a, a breakout stud that nobody saw coming or something else terrible has happened. Like this is not the rotation that anybody envisioned coming into the season. And it's because they've had all the injuries and other absences that we've talked about. So like it's just, we can't lose sight of that, but you're right. They lost Gordon Hayward. They didn't really replace him. Um, and you know, whatever he went through the last couple of years, he was still a really valuable player. He's been a really valuable player in Charlotte. He's been great and great in Charlotte. Yeah. And, and it just shows you look at the way Charlotte now Charlotte's not going to be a, you know, like a great playoff team, but Charlotte is, is, is proving a point that I thought the Celtics it was one of the reasons I liked what the Celtics were doing the last few years, which is that Charlotte's got Gordon Hayward, despite you know they signed him despite having drafted LaMelo Ball despite having Terry Rozier despite having breakout player Devontae Graham like they've got all these guys who can do a bunch of stuff with the ball in their hands and one one perspective would be no no no, no you can't do that they're they're all gonna get in each other's way and they all need the ball in their hand no they're they, they're the best passing team in the league right now because they've got so many guys who can do multiple things with the ball in their hands and that was one of the things I actually liked about what the Celtics had built with the young stars breaking out plus Kemba, plus Gordon Hayward. Well, now they're down to three instead of four guys who can do a lot with the ball in their hands. And one of them, Kemba, has a knee issue that kept him out for a month and will continue to be a lingering issue uh, throughout. So now you don't have that many guys who can make plays. Like making plays is really important for yourself and for teammates. Like that's just a really important part of functioning high-level offensive basketball. So um, they're missing that right now, the Celtics. And I, I agree. Uh that trade exception, they got to find a way to use it. I, I, I don't, mm-hmm. know, I don't know who it is. Whether it's JJ Redick, whether it's a bigger piece than, than JJ, um, whether it's it's more of a playmaker, whether it's a, a wing defender, whether it's a big, which they could certainly use. Um, you know, the trade exception I don't think is quite big enough to to fit uh, Andre Drummond into. Um, so, but they they need they need help. They do need some reinforcements. I'm not dismissing that or just diminishing that. At all, I just think some of the hand wringing is a bit overwrought. Um, I did think, and I'm curious your thoughts on on this, Chris. Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe uh, did have a line in the story the other day saying, I think it was after the loss to, to Washington, that the team quote appears to be tuning out its coach, which is never a line you want to see written about a coach uh, if you are a fan of that organization or if you are that organization. What what uh, do you make of the possibility that that maybe Stevens is losing some impact? Nah, I don't buy it. Um, and I guess anything's possible. And not being physically around the team as much this year as I have been in years past, I'm not as connected to that situation. But I'd be more comfortable buying into that argument if they were playing this way at full strength. If we get into March and April and this team is underperforming and playing with this the same kind of you know lacklusterness or lack thereof uh that they're doing right now then I'll buy into that but but for the moment I'm I I'm going to I'm going to defer to Brad Stevens on this one because Brad Stevens has had this team in the conference finals in 3 of the last 4 years I, I just I don't think something has changed so dramatically in this quirky season that he deserves to be a scapegoat uh, for all this, nor do I buy into the Danny Ainge stuff. People are kind of climbing on Danny Ainge right now, saying, you know, what, you know, maybe not fire Danny Ainge, but you know, blaming him for it. I, I think he could have done some things. The 
the the the one you know part of this core Howard that I'm most curious about what happens next month is Kemba Walker. Now I think Kemba Walker is tough to trade first and foremost because of that knee injury and because of the two years remaining on his contract, but he probably has the most value and he's probably the guy they'd be most willing to move um you know out of that core group. I I don't I don't know that you can do it without getting a point guard back in return because I think we'd be in agreement that you know Jeff Teague's not starting at point guard and you know Marcus Smart is not really a point guard, but that's what I'm curious about. Might the Celtics kick the tires on a Kemba Walker deal if something came up? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know that there's any market for Kemba Walker right now for the reasons you stated, but also just most teams are pretty set at point guard. I mean, it's a it's a True. it's a point guard rich time in this league. Um, you know, I haven't done the mental exercise of like, okay, find a new home for him. Is there any team that may like? The Bulls, maybe they need a point guard. I, I would argue, still, um, you know, the the Heat. Dragic has been banged up. You know, you know, would he make sense there? Do you make that? I I don't know. Like I'm I'm just glancing across the league right now. I don't know that that you know, given his his knee issues and the contract, probably not likely. I think the using the trade exception to bolster themselves is the most likely uh, fix, but let's go back to Gordon Hayward for a second, because I just want to yeah. hit this because I've, you've probably been asked this a million times in the last several days. I certainly have. This immediately brings back up the, well, they shot down this trade for Indiana that they should have done. Ha ha. They screwed up. You know, uh, you know, you know, why, why aren't we beating up Danny Ainge for that? And I keep coming back to, we don't actually know, do we, whether Gordon Hayward was actually going to accept that, like it was a sign and trade deal. So to, to do the deal that was going to be centered on miles Turner, who yes, would have been, looked great in Boston and still would. Um, it, it, it presupposes that Gordon Hayward was willing to play in Indiana and sign whatever contract the Pacers were willing to pay as opposed to the contract that Charlotte did, which once that's on the table, maybe there's not even a possibility, you know, like maybe Indiana's not matching this. Like there's, I feel like there's two things we don't know. Would Gordon Hayward have actually participated in the sign and trade to go to Indiana instead of Charlotte? And would Indiana have paid him as well? And if we're, before we start down that path of the Celtics screwed up uh, on, on Hayward, I think we have to at least question whether or not we know how the Pacers and Hayward felt about that possible deal. Yeah, I always got the vibe, though, that something could have been worked out if the sign-and-trade situation could have been worked out. Um, I know Gordon's family, you know, his wife in particular, uh, like the idea of Indiana. Um, you know, I, I don't know enough about it to say anything definitively, but I just got the sense that it could have been worked out. The Celtics just didn't have a lot of interest in the package that the Pacers were willing to part with. I, I disagree with it at the time. I'll disagree with it again now. I think Miles Turner in that Brad Stevens system would have been a better fit than Tristan Thompson because Miles Turner can shoot threes, he can block shots. I always thought the criticism of my I still do the criticism of Miles Turner is just just kind of weirdly stronger than it needs to be. Yes, there are flaws to his game. Sometimes he hasn't hasn't played all that hard, but he's been you know I don't know if he's Defensive Player of the Year, but he's in the mix this year for the way he's played with his shot blocking and everything else. Um, I would have done that deal. I would have. And you're right, you know, it doesn't matter if, if Hayward wasn't going to go, but I got the sense that if if the Celtics and, and Pacers were able to connect on a sign-and-trade, something could have been worked out financially that would have made Hayward accept that deal. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not throwing it out entirely. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened. I'm not saying that 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 it wasn't um, <clears throat> a strong possibility and a, and a good one. Like I like you, I like Miles Turner, and I think he would have been fantastic on the Celtics and would have addressed a, a glaring need. I just I, be, I I feel like people are a little bit too certain of this absolutely could have happened. Gordon Hayward would have That's done true. it. The Pacers would have done it. I, eh, we just don't know, especially when Charlotte came in with that big offer. Um, I, I just think we need to approach that with a little less certitude uh, before before uh, condemning the Celtics on that one. Um, oh, that's fair. That's- yeah. But look, it is fair to say that if you're the Celtics front office, it is your responsibility to say, well, we don't think Gordon Hayward's worth this amount. We do. We, we are ready to part with him. We're going to let him go. It is your responsibility to then say, well, then what are the reverberations on the roster and how do we address that as, as quickly and constructively as possible? And I think you could certainly make the argument that they didn't, that, that they just yeah. did not. Uh, they, they don't have the buffer that they had last year or they don't have the extra playmaking. They don't have the extra scoring, the extra versatility in the roster that you lost with him. And I'm not saying you could directly replace him and just go snatch another Gordon Hayward clone somewhere. But you do have to figure out how to address that that loss, that loss of skill set. Yeah, they didn't do it. And now they have uh, a few weeks or a month or so to find somebody out there that can uh, supplement what they're doing, especially off that bench, which has been really bad uh, for the last couple of years. Um, All right, let's move on to a more positive situation going on right now in Phoenix, where the Suns uh, are currently kicking the crap out of the Eastern Conference. They're 6-0 in the last uh, uh, seven or six games on the seven-game homestand. As we record this, they're playing Brooklyn uh, tonight. Uh, But Phoenix has been a great story for the start of the season, Howard. We assumed that Chris Paul would be kind of a round peg, round hole kind of fit. He has been. DeAndre Ayton has anchored a defense that has been vastly improved. I was looking at some of the stats, Howard. The The Suns are fifth in the NBA in defense. They haven't been inside, I think, the top 10 in 20 years. Like, it's been 20 years since they have had a top uh, 10 defense in the NBA. That's remarkable, and Ayton is a big reason for that. Uh, you've got Mikhail Bridges. He's playing well. Frank Kaminsky is somehow playing well over these last 10 games uh, with Phoenix, been a part of that starting lineup. Uh, what do you make of the Suns? And I guess more specifically, are you buying the Suns as a real contender this year? This is uh, actually kind of fun, by the way, real quick. <laughs> the defensive ratings, Lakers are at the top. Okay, they were great last year. Utah's is right behind the Lakers. Okay, yeah, they've been great for you know several years running. The Knicks are the third best defense in the NBA as of today. The Suns are fourth. The Rockets are fifth. And who would have thought that we'd be talking about Nick Suns Rockets as rounding out the top defensive five. juggernauts? Defensive juggernauts, right there. I mean, I know you know Tibbs has the rep and everything else. You knew he'd make an impact, but third, <laughs> like Monty Williams certainly has a defensive uh, background and 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 everything. But you know, fourth, the Rockets. I like get, and you know, still early, third of the way into the season, things will will change. Uh, but uh, just want to note that uh, in this moment. Um, the Suns, whatever people, whatever uh, doubts or skepticism people might have had early on, I think at this stage, we're, we're far enough into the season. And I think they've had the quality uh, of, of, of wins that I think everybody has to, to, to conclude this is real, right? Whatever you thought of the Suns, and yes, Chris Paul is an impact, but maybe you're not sold on Devin Booker. Maybe you're not <clears throat> sure about Aiton Bridges, the young guys. This is real. I mean, the six-game winning streak through the East that you just alluded to Includes wins over the Celtics as well as the Bucks and the Sixers. So, you know, you're doing something right consistently. 
um, when that's the case. And I think it speaks, Chris, to, to this. And, and like, it's not that the Suns didn't try to solve this before when they got Rubio, but it speaks to the impact that a player like Chris Paul can make when everybody's in their proper places. When It's not that Devin Booker isn't a great do-it-all uh, modern-day guard who can score and pass and handle and whatever, but a guy, of, of especially with uh, still as, as young as he is, relatively speaking, having an experienced point guard next to him, a guy with the quality of, of just or the, the gamesmanship and leadership and game savvy of Chris Paul, everybody else is that much better when things are, are running smoothly, when the offense is organized, when guys can just do what they do best and not have to get too far outside themselves. Not that, again, Devin Booker, you can put the ball in his hands and he can create and he can do a lot for a lot of the game, but not having to have that responsibility all the time and, and again, that there's a domino effect, I think, or ripple effect throughout the roster. And so, um, you know, granted, that's easy to say when it's Chris Paul. He's a future Hall of Famer, and he has a long track record of lifting teams up. So it's, in some ways, you could just say, oh, yeah, well, duh. But I just I think anybody who would come in there to, to stabilize that position. Um, and, and again, Rubio to, to an extent, but Rubio is, is not at the same level and didn't have the jump shot there were other, you know, uh, caveats to, to his tenure there. Um, Chris Paul was the exact right move, the exact right player at the exact right time. And even despite all that, I'll, I'll just say, like, I did not see this coming, not at this level. I thought the Suns would be a playoff team. I thought they'd be sixth, seventh, eighth range. At, as, as we speak, they're fourth. And I think there's some staying power there. I don't know if that's where they'll end up because the Nuggets started off you know, really shaky and are getting their, their, their stuff together. The nuggets, you know, will, will still be heard from the trailblazers are hovering in there. They've pulled themselves together despite missing three fifths of their starting lineup. Um, and the Mavericks might jump into this, into the fray at some point, cause they're starting to pull it together a little bit. So, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, Chris. I'm not, I'm not necessarily sold on the suns as contender or as part of that group. That's going to try to knock off the LA teams and, and the Jazz were legitimately, of course, part of that conversation now, too. I don't know if I'm there yet, but they are they are certainly exceeding expectations. Yeah, they are. And, you know, this is where we give Monty Williams a nod for what he's done with that team. It's a pretty competitive coach of the year race right now, but Monty is right in the thick of it. And he's helped that team pick up right where they left off in the bubble. He's incorporated Chris Paul seamlessly into that mix. I mean, look, Phoenix, a lot of the players we remember from last year, but they changed the roster up. There are eight new players on that roster and they've all kind of fit in, you know, pretty effortlessly with that group. If I'm, if we're kind of foreshadowing ahead uh, to, to whether this team can beat the Lakers or the jazz and the Clippers and teams like that, I guess I think it's fair to say that the front court will probably determine that, right? Like, you know, you can rely on Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the playoffs. They're going to, if, if Chris Paul's healthy, he is a great playoff performer. Devin Booker, I think he's going to be fine. I'm even, I'm even getting more and more sold on this version of DeAndre Ayton. Like, you know, Ayton, I've been kind of waiting for that day that Ayton starts to like kind of gripe about touches and says, you know, I'm only averaging, uh, I don't even know what he's averaging points per game now, but he's not, you know, among the, the, the top guy. I think he's, yeah, 13, almost 14 points per game. So I'm, I've been waiting for that day where he gets, you know, preoccupied with the score. And that hasn't come yet. He's been focused on rebounding and defense, and he's been great there. So I think he's going to be solid in the playoffs. I just don't know, 
you know, those kind of forward spots, I mean, are we trusting, you know, Bridges? Are we trusting Cam Johnson? Dario Saric has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, I mentioned Frank Kaminsky, who has been a revelation over these last 10 games. How reliable is he going to be in the postseason? That's probably my only question. I think they're pretty, I mean, they're, they're, they are. They're fortified strongly at three positions. I think their bench is pretty good. Uh, I, I just wonder about those front court spots, if, if it's reliable enough to take on the top teams. I think that's fair. And I think, you know, the guys you just mentioned, that group, especially at, at the forwards, um, you know, if we're going to start talking about, well, are they a contender? Can they get through the West? Then it's I'll put the same test to the Suns that I keep putting to the Jazz. And again, it's not to throw cold water on what the Jazz are doing in the regular season. It's been fantastic. But okay, great. You're among the elite. What do you do when you have to deal with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who we'll talk about in a little while too? But like, mm. how do you deal with those two guys? And so if you're the Jazz, you know, what combination of Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich is it going to take to try to at least make LeBron less efficient? Can you, can you do it? Um, and so now that's like we put it's the same prism that we can now apply to the Suns. You know, our, our, our you know, Bridges, Saric, Johnson, Crowder. I, I mean, I, I, I think they've got the, the versatility or the, the depth and the athleticism and, and body types to like throw different looks at LeBron. Um, and Jay Crowder certainly has tons of experience, years of experience of, of dealing with LeBron in, in both, you know, regular and postseason environments. Um, so maybe, maybe um, I'm, I'm not I'm not raising it because I'm saying they can't. I'm raising it as like that will be that will be the next thing. Like, if, can you take uh, four out of seven from the Lakers or can you take four out of seven from the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? How, so like I that's how I'm looking at teams, especially in the West, like how well stocked are you? at those those swing positions where you're going to have to deal with, in, in particular, Kawhi and, and, and Paul George in one scenario or LeBron in another scenario. Let me ask you this. Like, if you're James Jones in that front office, how aggressive are you over the next month? Because on one hand, you can say, look, we're a young team, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, we can afford to be patient. On the other, Chris Paul's 35 years old, and... While he has beaten back Father Time pretty good over the last few years, yeah, how many more years does he have left in him? I mean, he's got a couple years left on this contract, but how many years does he have left playing at the highest level? That's, I wonder about that. I mean, if you're Phoenix, do you throw young players into a package to get yourself something that improves you and puts you in position to compete for the Western Conference title this year? Yeah, and Chris Paul, to your point, is 36 in May. So by the time we get yeah. to the play, well, I'm not, I can't remember when the playoffs actually start. Uh, I think yeah. I think we'll be in the playoffs in May, or we'll be wrapping up wrapping up the regular season or something. Uh, he turns 36 on May 6th. So this postseason run um, will involve a Chris Paul who's 36 years old. Like I, guards in general, and especially guards of his size, don't generally age well. Of course, everything's. Off the table, like nothing, nothing makes sense. Nothing matters anymore anyway. LeBron is obliterating all of our expectations of what guys can do in their 30s in this league. But guys at his size tend to fare better than guys of, of Chris Paul's size. Um, you never know. I, I always talk about it being the cliff. You never know when the guy's going to just go fall off the cliff. The one day you're elite, the next day you're just toast. Um, I hope that's not the case for Chris Paul anytime soon. But 36 means you like your your point is absolutely valid. The time is now because if Chris Paul starts to fade in his next season with with Phoenix, um, 
or when the, whenever that day comes that you're transitioning to somebody else, you are a different, fundamentally different team when it's not Chris Paul running the show anymore. And so there is, there is a window here. On the other hand, this window coincides with trying to deal with a LeBron James who's still playing like an MVP and a Clipper team that's, that's looking, you know, absolutely legit. Um, and a, and a, power, a potent jazz team and a really deep Denver team. So if you're doing the win now move, and I'm not sure who that target is, but it, 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 like you're going all in at a time when the top of the West is so stacked that I don't know. I, I, you, you have to decide how much of this future you might be willing to sacrifice for the win now move because you're, you're, it's still an uphill battle. And um, I guess it would depend and this is where we get, you know, way into the, the hypothetical. It depends on who you're going to get, right, and what you have to give up. And I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who that would be at this point. Right. Well, Chris Paul, like players, don't come around all that often. So just hanging around, you know, hoping that some of these young guys play to the level that make you a competitor for a conference championship. I, I don't know if I'd do that. I'd, I'd be at the very least, I'd be aggressive out there trying to find ways to upgrade the roster. Um, all right, let's talk about the Lakers for a minute, and specifically Anthony Davis. On Sunday, we saw Davis walk off against the Nuggets, Nuggets with what was uh, deemed a calf strain. The early reports are that Davis is going to be signed through at least the All-Star break in early March, if not longer. Uh, structurally, it sounds like his Achilles is sound, but when you see Davis walk off the court like that, Howard, it's not hard to kind of conjure images of guys with serious Achilles injuries, you know, doing that same walk. It's good news for Davis that it doesn't appear that's the case, but how concerned do you think the Lakers should be with the latest injury to AD? The second you say the word Achilles, <laughs> every alarm bell on earth goes off. I mean, that, that part's a little scary. And so they've been calling, you know, Achilles tendinosis. And, you know, so now, they're saying the Achilles is fine. The MRI shows the Achilles is fine. Okay, great. That's what that's I'm sure really for everyone involved. Um, the fact that he has to sit for a few weeks to rest it. And the fact that this has been a recurring issue, even so far this season, it's a concern. I mean, we're not doctors. We're not trainers. We, we can't see where this is going to go, but the fact that this is a lingering issue for him, I, it, 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 that worries me. That worries me for the Lakers. Um, I think the good, let's put his, his, his health aside for a minute. Let's just assume that he's out for a few weeks. He rests, he comes back after the all-star break and he's fine the rest of the way, right? Under that scenario, this all becomes just a, a blip. I do think in the near term, it's going to be interesting just to see how the Lakers uh, uh, function without him, right? This is, this is a, a test on certain levels for their newfound depth. Um, I think a year ago at this time, I, I, don't, I don't know how well they could have handled multiple games, multiple weeks without Anthony Davis, not any knock on LeBron, but like the supporting cast wasn't that great. Well, now you have a Dennis Schroeder who can drop 20 or 25 on a given night. You have Montrez Harrell who's uh, capable of, of, of doing more. You've got Marcus Gasol and Wes Matthews, the other guys they picked up. I know like neither of them have been like outstanding this season, but still they've got, I think more reliable depth, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker's uh, emergence. I think Kuzma has been playing at a, at a really nice level and has shown that he can handle a bigger role right now. Um, I think they're fine. Like, I think it's going to, it will test their depth to an, to an extent. And it will, it will test Frank Vogel and his staff in terms of their creativity. And, 
you know what? They're 21 and seven. They've got the second best record in the NBA. If they slip a little and, and go like five and five over the next 10 until uh, Anthony Davis gets back, like it's not going to hurt them. The Lakers don't have to worry about home court advantage. They don't have to worry about being the top seed. There is no home court advantage in the NBA right now. It, it, maybe it'll be relevant by the playoffs, but also they're the defending champs. Like they're not a team that, and they're a veteran team. They don't need to worry about positioning. As long as they don't fall out of the playoff race, which they're not, then I, I don't worry about the short-term loss. I think the bigger concern, Chris, is more, you know, is is can this be taken care of, this injury be taken care of in a way that, that Anthony Davis comes back and he's fine the rest of the year, or is it going to linger? Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, the Lakers, to me, if they go 0-10 over these next 10 games, or however long it takes for Davis to come back, it still is not cause for, you know, incredible concern. It doesn't matter if they're the first seed or the sixth seed. Even if there was home court advantage out there right now, it still wouldn't matter. It's still a team that is fully capable of winning at least one game on an opponent's home floor and then seizing that home court advantage away from them. Right now, it's all about getting AD back to health. And, you know, the early March time frame, I'd push that even further, man. Like, one... Again, to your earlier point, we're not doctors. We're not, you know, diagnosing, you know, AD and saying he has to do this, that, or the other. But the one thing when KD was going through what he was going through, when I did talk to doctors and trainers, one thing they told me was that they didn't feel like KD had enough of a ramp up before he went back into games. Remember, because he kind of he had the the calf injury, and then he kind of got back into practice, and right after practice, he was back into the NBA Finals, like the the ultimate high pressure situation. I mean, if you're the Lakers, you know, extend the ramp up. Even if it pushes AD to like six weeks coming back, four, five, six, whatever it is, extend that ramp up. Make sure there's not a recurrence of that this injury because that's the biggest fear at this point. Not just you know that it becomes you know the dreaded Achilles injury, but if we're dealing with this every couple of weeks where AD's got a calf problem, it's sore, uh, he's got to sit out for two or three games, you're better off if you're the Lakers, even if you struggle over the next month plus in sitting him down and just letting your team play it out while he gets better. I mean, that all you really need him to be is 100% healthy come May or whenever the playoffs actually start. If he's 100% healthy then, it doesn't matter your seating. It doesn't matter your positioning. It just matters that he's back on the floor. You're going to beat whoever's in front of you in that first round, most likely, if AD's back on the floor healthy. Yeah, and, that, and, that's, and that's the thing. When you are the defending champs, when you have LeBron James on your team, you know nothing about the regular season really matters other than get through it healthy, get through it with guys playing at their peak. If you've got young guys who you're trying to develop, great, develop them along the way. Just you know, just get to the postseason in the best possible shape you can, physically, emotionally, mentally, game sharpness, all that. That's it. That's it. The rest of this doesn't matter. So I, I I'm not. I don't think anybody should should. Uh, focus too heavily on what the Lakers do in the next few weeks without him other than, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what a bigger role for Kuzma looks like or Horton Tucker looks like, like that's like, that's important. Those, those things are, but, but ultimately those aren't the guys who are going to get them the second championship in a, in a primary role. It'll be Anthony Davis once he's healthy. So um, it'll be interesting. But the other way to look at this, Chris, of course, is, you know, LeBron at the moment, according to, all of us pundits uh, is neck and neck with Joel Embiid for MVP in the early fictional third of the way through the season race. And this, right. it's going to be interesting to see because if, if the Lakers are still dominant 
in the next few weeks without Anthony Davis, that just bolsters LeBron's MVP candidacy that much more. If they struggle without him, for some people that might, you know, uh, take a couple of, of notches out of LeBron's candidacy. I mean, mm-hmm. remember, and this was certainly the case for me. I will, I will uh, admit this openly. Part of what elevated Giannis, not the only thing, but an element elevating Giannis over LeBron last season is LeBron had Anthony Davis and Giannis had Chris Middleton. That's not a knock on Chris Middleton, but Chris Middleton is not Anthony Davis. And so what the Bucks were doing, and they had you know the best regular season, their dominance was so much about Giannis primarily, whereas with the Lakers, it was a lot about LeBron, but Anthony Davis is you know at his best a top five player. No Anthony Davis for the next few weeks means uh, this is solely about how LeBron leads this group and how he can elevate them. And so to a certain extent, to the extent that a two, three week stretch will impact how we view the MVP race, I do think that there's at least a little bit of that um, to talk about. Yeah, I think if you're Frank Vogel, though, one priority over the next month is to keep LeBron's minutes exactly where they are. Like, you don't want to have to burn him out at, you know, 38, 39, 40 minutes per game, uh, even if it means potentially losing a couple. I mean, again, eye on the prize here. The prize is another championship, and that only comes with LeBron fresh uh, going into the playoffs. Of course. Um, Yeah, let's talk, Howard, about two developments that have happened over the last 24, 48 hours. Uh, The Detroit Pistons have decided in consultation with Blake Griffin that they are going to move on from Griffin. They are in a full-scale rebuild in Detroit. Uh, Sadiq Bey is playing Griffin's position. Uh, They are going to move on from Griffin, whether that comes in the form of a trade or a buyout after the March 25th uh, deadline remains to be seen. Uh, In Cleveland, it wasn't so much in consultation with Andre Drummond, but the Cavaliers have decided that they are done with Andre Drummond. It is now Jarrett Allen's team at the five spot, and Drummond is either going to be traded or subsequently uh, released. So I guess we start with Griffin. I don't know how you trade this guy, Howard. He's he's on a big contract this year, and he's got, I think, $39 million owed to him next year. He's 31 years old. His numbers have dipped considerably in recent years. Uh, he's not reliable health-wise, uh, he doesn't have the athleticism he used to have, though I still think he can be a productive player on a, on a contending team. I mean, am I wrong? Is there an option out there for Griffin? Like, to me, Griffin is like now in that Russell Westbrook territory. Like, you could flip Griffin for Westbrook if you wanted to. Uh, I'm not sure why either team would do that. But if you, that's really the only type of trade I can see evolving for Blake Griffin. I don't see a trade for Blake Griffin, period. I really don't. Um, his injury history, his his current level of play, his contract, all of that combines to say that his contract is now, I think, worse than the ones that we were talking about a few months back when it was John Wall being flipped for Russell Westbrook, and we thought those were the two worst deals. Uh, Blake Griffin making 36.6 this season and has an option for next season that he, of course, absolutely will exercise yep. at nearly 39 so unless you're a team that has cap room to absorb him into, and I don't think anybody's got $39 million, um, unless you're a team that doesn't care anything about this season and next season, and you're just rebuilding, and you're just going to buy him out anyway and, and cut him loose, and you're going to ask Detroit for some, some picks or other inducements to take him, I just don't see – you can't trade him for value. Um, there, there's no team that – that, that needs this version of Blake Griffin. And it, by the way, it pains me to say that. Like, Blake Griffin 
the dude was freaking awesome. He was so much fun. He was one of the handful of guys in the NBA in the course of his career where you would pay to watch him alone. Like it didn't even matter who's around him, who they're playing. Blake Griffin was was a must watch player. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's move for a minute, Howard, to talk about you know some of the breaking news this week regarding two players, uh, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. Uh, it seems like both Detroit and Cleveland are looking to move on from uh, those players. There's a mutual understanding, it seems, between Griffin and the Pistons uh, that Griffin will they'll find a way to get him to another location, whether it's a trade or a contract buy. A little bit different between Drummond and the Cavaliers. Uh, Drummond doesn't seem to be on board with this plan for the Cavs, but the Cavs have clearly decided that uh, Jared Allen is their starting center and they're going to build around him. Drummond, of course, in the last year of his contract. Let's start with Griffin. I don't see, Howard, any way that he is tradable at this point. He is owed the rest of the $30 million on this contract, $39 million next year in the last year of his deal, I don't know who's out there that has that kind of you know flexibility in terms of cap space or movable contracts. I guess you could flip him for Russell Westbrook, but that doesn't do anything, I think, for either team. Uh, start with Griffin. How, how do you think that plays out? Yeah, well, let's start with this, Chris, that 
there is no trade. Like, that, let's not even pretend and like don't crank up the trade machine, folks. Don't like start trying to figure out matching salary. Like, it's just not happening. At least with the case of, of Westbrook and John Wall, they were still functioning high level players, albeit not as good as they used to be. But you could swap them for each other and both teams could do okay. There's nothing you can trade for Blake Griffin or would want to trade for Blake Griffin to acquire a guy who's going to be making $39 million next year on his player option that he will certainly pick up. And though he's still young in real years, he's turning 32 in March, um, he looks a lot closer to the end than that. And, and that's going to be a big part of this too. I talked to a scout yesterday after this news came out, and, and the scout was admittedly harsh, but I think this is a realistic view. He says of, of Blake Griffin, he says, I hate watching him. He looks like he's shot. Um, he says, I wouldn't say he's finished, but he's coming to the end. And the caveat from the scout, and I would add this caveat, you know, five times over myself is it's hard to properly evaluate Blake Griffin at this stage while also with this team. The Pistons were going younger. They're moving on. It's a new administration, new front office. And so is, is Blake Griffin as locked in, as energized in Detroit as he might be with a different team, especially a contending team? So uh, even with the possibility that there is another gear left or, another, or a second wind in him, he, he is, after all the injuries he's had, knees and lo- all the lower extremities, like, he's not the same Blake Griffin. He hasn't dunked in over a year. Um, he can still do some things, Chris. And that's the thing. Like, if he's they'll, – they'll, it'll be a buyout. Let's, again, this is a given. It'll be a buyout at some point. When they get to that stage and he's a free agent, he's still a guy who is a really smart player who's become a really great playmaker late in his career, you know, a great passer out of the post and, 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 and on the perimeter – um, who can still get by some guys and can knock down a jumper and, and has a little bit of range. So I think he can be a useful player, a rotation guy, but not a starter on a good team, um, likely a bench guy. And we can talk about possible uh, destinations, but I think there's a few teams. Yeah, yeah but hold, hold on. Let, let me, before we get into possible destinations, like I agree, no trade. A buyout, those negotiations would be fascinating because <laughs> like – on the open market, Blake Griffin, what's he worth? Like, something above the veteran's minimum, probably, but uh, he's 31. His athleticism, as you pointed out, has waned. He's shooting 31% from three this year. That is actually a market improvement from the 24% from three he shot in 18 games last season. Uh, th- th- not, there's not a lot of money out there for that, Howard. Like, not, you know, even within the same hemisphere, I guess, of the money he's making right now. I mean, you think Blake Griffin wants out of Detroit that bad that he would leave? I don't I don't know how much money it would take. Or does Detroit say, look, you're going to have to take a steep pay cut or else we'll just, you know, bench you and make you a super sub? See, that's the thing. Like, I think the Pistons have to be careful here because, you know, at some point the union could get involved. We saw this years ago with Stephon Marbury when Mike D'Antoni arrived and the Knicks decided, D'Antoni decided, I just don't even want you here in my rotation. And, and Marbury says, I'm not taking a nickel less than what I'm owed. And there was a standoff for a long time. It eventually got resolved. He did take much more than a nickel less to get out from under it, but he got his freedom and the Knicks got a, you know, a tiny cost savings. The Pistons at, at Troy Weaver have made a decision already by pulling the plug on Blake Griffin and saying, we want to move to get you, we want to work to get you somewhere else. They know in the back of their minds that a trade is almost impossible. They know that, you know, at some point this probably comes to a buyout. And yeah, buy, uh, buy, like 
you're, you're not going to negotiate Blake Griffin down to 20 million instead of 39 million for next season. And by the way, any time a, a player is waived with that kind of uh, money and a player option, it, the player option automatically kicks in. So they're definitely on the hook for that 39 or a negotiated down version of it. But they want to move on, Chris. And Blake Griffin clearly wants to move on. Somewhere in there, maybe it's giving back a couple million. It's not going to be a lot. Detroit's not going to save much, but Detroit was not going to get those cost savings anyway by holding on to him and having him activate his option after the season. So they were going to be over the barrel money-wise anyway. They're rebuilding anyway. They're not going anywhere next year anyway. They're not in free agency this summer anyway. The cap room is almost irrelevant. So I, look, I can't negotiate for them or for Blake Griffin. Uh, his representation will do a fine job of that themselves. But if they shave a couple million off and it at least gives the Pistons a slight amount of relief, then he goes and he signs somewhere for the veterans minimum. Like that to me is how this is going to play out. I don't see another scenario. Can we just pause and take a moment for the absurdity of paying a guy like $45 million to go away? Like <laughs> the, just the absurdity of that statement. Not, not that it's not accurate, not there's not truth to it, but the absurdity of paying Blake Griffin $45 million to go away would be, would be remarkable. But that's the only way he gets out of Detroit. There is no trade and a buyout would have to be the only option there. Now, I interrupted you there when we were discussing kind of where he would land. I mean, there are some obvious choices, at least in the short term. You could look at Brooklyn, you know, team up with with Durant and those guys and have a position in a front court that badly needs some help. I mean, you could look at some other, you know, know, would-be contenders out there, maybe ones that could offer you a little more playing time. I'd put Toronto on that list. The Raptors haven't had, and we'll get into them a little bit with Andre Drummond, but the Raptors have not had good production out of their front court guys. Uh, Charlotte, I think, is is a possibility if he wants to join that team, which I think is kind of fun to watch and in the running uh, for the playoffs. Dallas, another team there. Those are just the top of my head teams, Howard. That uh, Miami, of course, I think is always in the mix for a player like that. Uh, what do you see as the market for Blake Griffin if he finds up uh, as a free agent? He'll have gotten his money, right? Like whatever the buyout is, it's still a ton of money. Uh, he'll take a slight haircut on it, but like he's going to sign somewhere for the veterans minimum. And then now maybe some team has some piece of the mid-level or the biannual, but I don't, I don't think that that's going to be determinative here. Like, I don't think this is going to be some bidding war to get Blake Griffin. I think it's going to be more a matter of there's going to be a bunch of teams that need desperately need depth and, and front court depth in particular. And you name some of them, somebody will give him the veterans minimum and he'll pick the team that he thinks he's going to have the best role with. So, I mean, we could name four-fifths of the Atlantic division, pretty much everybody aside from the Knicks, who are, of course, are more of in a rebuilding mode. But Toronto, you mentioned, could use him, and you mentioned Brooklyn. I think Boston and Philly. I don't know how he and Doc feel about each other at this stage, but Philly could use some some bench depth uh, in the front court in particular. And, again, like no illusions here. No one's going to get the you know version of Blake Griffin – who could, you know, dunk over Timofey Mozgov and uh, corporate sponsor cars. Um, like that's, we're not going to see that guy again, but he can still be in short minutes, an effective player who, as I say, knock down a mid-range jumper here and there, be a playmaker um, and, and give you some good minutes. The, the, the Nets have had a gap at power forward for quite a while and even more so now since the Harden trade, they're desperate for capable bodies. Um they just signed Andre Robertson. I mean, they, they're they're just they're just grabbing whoever they can. He could he, he would he would uh, be a help there. The Sixers, the Celtics, as as I mentioned, um, you know, outside of those teams. I mean, you you mentioned Miami. Like, I think any team that is a contender that still has 
some some bench issues could make sense. But I think I think those three in the Atlantic Division, like I don't know about Toronto. You mentioned Toronto, so tell me more on Toronto. But I think that, to me, Boston, Brooklyn, Philly are the ones that that leapt to mind immediately. Yeah, and Brooklyn is an obvious fit. You know, just because of their ability to potentially win a championship, that's not something Griffin's been able to do. And if money is no object, going to New York, playing alongside other stars, I'm just going to guess that was appealing. I think Toronto, actually, to pivot it to the next guy, is more a candidate for Andre Drummond. Uh, Drummond is a guy that, even though he's making you know $28.5 million this season, I think there are trade options out there for him. He's having another incredible statistical season. I mean, the guy vacuums up rebounds like... Certainly no player I've seen since Dennis Rodman, honestly. Like, he is a rebounding machine when he's out there on the floor. And there's a market for that. And every time I I look at Drummond, Howard, I'm reminded he's only 27 years old. Like, it feels like he's been around forever, and he should be in his early to mid-30s. But he's only 27 years old and never been on or in a winning situation. And that's something I'm curious about with Drummond. If you see a different level to his motor when he's in a winning situation. So I look at Toronto, which has not gotten anything out of Aaron Baines. Aaron Baines has been a huge disappointment for the Raptors uh, this year as a trade possibility. I look at Charlotte, which I think could get there with some combination of Malik Monk, uh, Bismack Biombo, maybe some other fillers there. They have a real hole in that front court, a really exciting backcourt. LaMelo's been excellent. Terry Rogier has been excellent. Uh, Gordon Hayward has been excellent, uh, but they need some help. Uh, in that front court. So I think look at the Hornets as being a possibility. The Knicks maybe could be in that mix if they continue to, you know, be in this win now type of mode to get into the playoffs, but I do think that while it's not a robust one, there is a market for Andre Drummond in a trade. There's a market for him in a trade, but I'm not sure given um his salary number that that it's going to be that easy to pull off. And so, and he's a free agent at the end of the season. So if you're a team that really thinks you could use Andre Drummond and you can match the salaries and you figured out a way and the, the players who match those salaries are players that, that Cleveland actually wants, there's still the question, Chris, of like, why am I giving up all these players for a player who could walk away as a free agent and I'm giving up assets to get him. And on top of that, and again, this is something I discussed with the scout yesterday, and it's just like this is not not a newsflash on Andre Drummond. The league is not convinced that Andre Drummond contributes to winning. His numbers are phenomenal. And he, as you say, he vacuums up rebounds, and he's, he's become a better all-around player and playmaker um, in recent years. But th- there's a skepticism about whether his, he contributes to winning, and given his track record in Detroit and then recently Cleveland. Now, you want to say it's not fair to judge him in those contexts because of the players he had around him, everything else. Okay, fine. But he had a pretty long run in Detroit through some decent seasons and not so decent seasons. Um, and, you know, look, as, as the fifth or sixth most important player on, you know, a contending team, um, or maybe the fifth most important player, you, you put him on the Nets, uh, you put him on the Celtics, and, and now I'm talking probably as, again, buy, buyout candidate picked up in free agency for the minimum – there's, they, they, he's, he's a no-brainer. For the teams that badly, badly need size and rebounding and a little bit of resistance uh, near the rim, he's a no-brainer if you're picking him up for the minimum or, or not much more. But trading assets to get him, given uh, his track record, some doubts about him, and the fact he'll be a free agent, I mean, that's, 
that's where I'm just not sure. And, and there have been questions about him throughout his time in Detroit from people who, who were there about whether, you know, he, he cares enough, whether he really, you know, gives it all night in, night out and cares about winning. Um, I'm not sure if that's a fair assessment or not. I'm not making that assessment, but people who have been in Detroit and people who have talked to people who worked in Detroit have, have said that that is the concern. And he's not a great defensive player either for all his rebounding skills. You know, I, I remember this conversation came up when the Celtics were kicking around the idea of trading for him in recent years, and his numbers against Joel Embiid are not good. So it's not like if you acquire him, you're getting, you know, an Embiid stopper or or something like that. All that being said, you know, it, it's this is another, like, can we take a moment and you know, reflect on the fact that a guy averaging 17 and a half points, 13 and a half rebounds, uh, you, you know, putting up some huge statistical shooting numbers when it comes to field goal percentage. Although this year he's been been off kilter a little bit. He's gotten a little bit more perimeter oriented. Um, that there's, you know, not a huge level of interest in him. I mean, this is not since Dwight Howard have I seen a player put up these kind of numbers and have nominal interest in what he can do. Now, I'm with you. If he winds up as a free agent, there'll be half a dozen teams or more that are clamoring to sign him to an end-of-the-season deal. And I just, I know you, I, I take your point that Detroit did have some winning-ish teams during that Drummond era. Never a contender by any stretch, but a playoff team for sure. Um, I, I just, I'm not ready to write a guy off that has been part of so many losing situations and never once thrust into one that is really good. So if you put Andre Drummond in Brooklyn where they're competing for a championship or in Boston where they've you have a history of kind of reclamation projects uh with the Celtics or even Toronto which has those veterans that have won a championship I I I'm not going to say it's going to come out but I'd be very curious to see if there's another gear to Andre Drummond. If he's now suddenly playing for something, do you not only get the 17 and 13 that you get from him in losing situations, do you get more winning plays out of a guy that I mean can can do a heck of a lot for a big man. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like it is, there is a disconnect there, Chris. And and I'm not sure I totally understand it either. But there, think about it this way: <laughs> despite all of his numbers, and and his numbers over the years, you know, in previous years especially, were just staggering. Um, the rebounding numbers he's put up in the course of his career, and yet a year ago when he was traded from Detroit to Cleveland, it was for some cap filler and a second round pick. Like that tells you exactly what you need to know about how the league viewed Andre Drummond at that time. Now, again, there was a worry about him picking up his final year option, which of course he did. And, and the expense of that, like that, that all factors into it. But if he were as good as his numbers suggest, he would not be traded for cap filler and a second round pick. Like that's, that, that's the reality. But again, it's a completely different situation if the Cavs end up buying him out and he's a free agent in the next few weeks you'll see a bunch of teams lining up to get him. That's a different thing because you're not giving up anything. You're not giving up assets. You're not spending as much. And yes, if you are a team like the Nets that has three superstars and nothing around them or very little, especially front court depth, you're, you're going to be chasing him with, with everything you've got. And um, I, like I say, I could, it's some of the same suspects. I could see the Celtics because they, you know, they, they clearly have issues at center. I wonder if, you know, the Warriors would make a run if he's uh, at him, if he's on the free agent market. They could certainly use some bolstering there. Um, 
you know, even the Lakers, you know, there were a lot of uh, people in L.A. who felt like, well, Gasol and Montrezl Harrell was a nice offseason pickup to, to, to bolster the center position. But Gasol's got a ton of miles on him. He's not playing at the same uh, intensity level as, as he was a few years ago. Do they need one more big and one more, you know, sizable big because Montrezl Harrell is undersized for the position. So like, there, there are contenders that will absolutely give chase once he's out there. But I, again, I, I just don't see how this is, is resolved via trade. Yeah, if I'm Andre Drummond, my nickels worth of free advice would be to go to Brooklyn because not only do you have a chance to win, uh, it, it probably won't be long before you're the starter out there. And that might not be the case with the Lakers or some of the other teams that are recruiting them. Golden State, you mentioned, if Wiseman's healthy, he's going to be the starter with that group. Uh, and, you know, there's so many problems with the front court. I, I missed the Andre Roberson signing. They, they really are signing everybody, anybody and everybody. <laughs> Iman Shumpert, Andre Roberson, uh, Norvell Pell. Like, this is. I mean, they, they've just, they're just out there scouring what's left of the free agent market for anybody that could play. It's, and it's, it's pretty not pretty. It, and, it's, and it's not pretty. Like, that's not, like, that is not the solution to, <laughs> to their problems. It's what they can do. I mean, it's, it's, it's all they can do at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Nets need quality depth. They're not finding that right now. Uh, you know, Drummond and Griffin, I don't, one or the other, both. Um, They'd be better Re- off with reunite them the Pistons. Reunite the Pistons from the last what, three years of that of their careers there. Yeah, maybe the Clippers, uh, you know, cut loose uh, Reggie Jackson. They can get him too. I mean, <laughs> I, the, the the Nets just need bodies. Like they they just need bodies, and that's clear by by what they've done so far. But I uh, listen. I, I would love to see Andre Drummond in a in a different environment. Let's let's find out. Let's if if the scuttlebutt around the league is unfair to him, and maybe it is. Let's we'll see. Like get him with a contending team, and let's see if we if, if those numbers translate to something more, and if he raises his level of play at both ends, especially defensively, to match the urgency you know around him as a team is chasing a title, and then maybe we'll we'll perceive him differently. And that's the that's the incentive for him too. Like if if there's if this is going to be a buyout, if he has to give up like you know a little bit to get out from under uh, Cleveland and to go somewhere else, the payoff for him is he could be perceived as a much better, more vital player if he goes and, and makes a title run with some team out there and hits free agency with that shine on him. I mean, look, it's not apples to apples, and it's not like Dwight Howard got paid by the 76ers, but if Dwight didn't do what he did with the Lakers last year, there would be no market for him. The Lakers were his last stand you know, yeah. in, in last year. Like He would have been nowhere, maybe in China, playing at some point. So... You're right. You go to a winning situation, you keep your head down, you play well, you put up numbers. At the very least, there'll be a contract offer or two out there for you uh, at the end of the season. Uh, Howard, we'll do it again next week, man. Always good to talk. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.